Que Spooky Podcast contains explicit language and content that may not be suitable for some listeners. Listener discretion is advised. Okay, well, this is our second episode, so how do we start this one? This is not the pilot episode. This is episode two of Guess Spooky Podcast. We're your hosts. That's Kevin. And that's Andres. Wow, you're annoying. Uh, we're the Guess Spooky Podcast, where two guys scare each other with stories of paranormal encounters, urban legends, and true crime from around the world. Hey. So, well, what's going on? What's going on with you? What's going on? What's going on? <laughs> Well, as you know, I had a great time trying to set up the VPN to work from home today, and it still doesn't work, so I guess I'm going to go back to work and work some tomorrow and then come home. Mm. It's going to be great. And as of today, there's 44 victims of the coronavirus, or I mean, not 44 Confirmed victims. cases. Confirmed Jesus. cases and one death. I've only had three panic attacks from this, this whole situation, but it's I getting- think I'm better now. It's getting a little weird. Stuff's like there's less cars out on the road. Definitely restaurants. When you drive by them, there's less cars in the parking lot now. Yeah. It's kind of becoming very empty when you drive around. I think it's going to be scary for a while until everything kind of mellows out. But I mean, the social distancing helps. Yeah. So don't go outside. Instead, no. listen to this episode. <laughs> it's quit hanging out with people go exercise outside by yourself no just don't go outside instead um netflix has uh the second and third lord of the rings movies they don't have the first one but i'm sure you can find it somewhere online is it on crackle oh no i couldn't find it oh and we rewatched the mothman prophecies this oh, weekend yeah. And it was not John Cusack. Welcome to the podcast where we talk about movies we haven't watched, and then we give you an update that we watched it. (laughs) I actually like The Mothman Prophecy, surprisingly. I I know it's kind of an old movie, and I know I'm judgy on old movies. Like, um, what's that one zombie movie? Dawn of the Dead? No, that one's scary. Day of the Dead? No, that one's scary. Night of the Dead? No, that one's scary. Night, Night of the Living Dead, like the very first one where the zombies would like stumble around. That type of shit is cheesy. That's why I'm very critical of old movies. But that one was actually good. Well, I'm saying old like it was just made in like 2003 or something. But but still, you know, Mothman wasn't a zombie movie, right? Okay, but what I'm saying. Listen, you didn't come <laughs> here to listen about movies. Do you want to just jump in? Hmm. Sure. Uh, I went first last time, so you go first this time. Okay. I don't know if I should say the name, uh, the title of my story, but it's a true crime story. Mm-hmm. My story is of La Mata Viejitas. Do you know it? The old lady killer? Yes. Mata Viejitas means the little old lady killer. So uh, my sources are a YouTube video from uh, TV Azteca documentary La Historia de Tras del Mito, posted and created by Carlos Manuel Cruz Mesa, an article in crónica.com.mx by Carlos Jimenez, um, an article in Proceso by La Reducción, uh, article in Stranger's Guide by The Stranger's Guide, uh, article in El País by Juan Martinez Arens. So, oh my gosh, wait. What? I completely forgot. I wanted to talk about... Um, so, over last weekend, I finally stopped to actually listen to the podcast because Kevin edited it. Mm-hmm. So, I didn't, get a ten- uh, I, get, I didn't get a chance to listen to it like you did. Okay. Um, and I want to just clarify that it's actually salt peter, not salt pepper. And I cringed every single time <laughs> I heard myself say salt pepper in the last episode. 
I was like, it's salt Peter. How the fuck can I forget Are you that? Saying pewter? Salt Peter. Peter. Salt Peter. Sodium nitrate. Salt Peter. Salt Peter. Yes. Okay. I thought you were trying to say salt pewter, like pewter city from Pokemon in the Kanto mm, region. No. Okay. Anyway. Sorry. Moving on. Don't interrupt. We can do corrections afterwards. Okay. <laughs> I may have a correction. I'll think of one. Okay. So setting is 1998. A series of murders began in Mexico City. All the victims were women over the age of 60, and they all lived alone. Uh, None of the crime scenes showed any signs of forced entry or robbery. Um, All victims were strangled, stabbed repeatedly, and had their clothes removed. Some victims showed evidence of blunt force trauma or sexual assault, but all victims died from strangulation. Victims that were assaulted, it was done more of a form of humiliation as a form of, like, rape. Um... This is not a... Wait, so they were, like, raped by with an object? It was made it seem like the victim's bodies were put, like, as a like as a form of, like, sexual humiliation. Does that make sense? Clarify one more time. Basically, it, if they weren't raped for pleasure, I guess. Oh, okay. So, basically, when they found these bodies, they saw that these bodies had evidence of sexual assault. Yes. I said that. Okay. This is not going to be a light story. This is a dark story. <laughs> um, so local news- newspapers picked up the stories of the first few homicides. Um, authorities believed at the time that there was nothing in connection to the murders, like nothing connecting the murders, and that the media was sensationalizing them. Um, eyewitnesses described the perpetrator as being average height, having short, light brown hair, with highlights and a broad back and wearing red clothing. Uh, Local police finally acknowledged the pattern after a few homicides and started a search for a man meeting these specific characteristics. Um, Notice how I said man, too. Um, It was theorized that they had, that what they were looking for was a copycat killer uh, because the MO was very similar to Thierry Paulin, known as the Monster of Montmartre, a French serial killer from the 1980s who only targeted older women. So, Ricardo Ham, a writer and investigative journalist, in the, doc- in the documentary mentioned that the authorities uh, should have given a public service announcement warning of the killer, but no such announcement was given due to, according to him, ignorance and lack of preparedness from the judicial police. So, due to the publicity, local newspapers dubbed the serial killer as El Matia Viejitas. Note that this was the early 2000s by the time that they noticed a trend. and So, basically, they were saying, like, Who's this guy that's killing them? Authorities th- uh, theorized that they were looking for a male pretending to be either a government social worker or a nurse to earn the victim's trust due to the eyewitness descriptions that it was an individual wearing a dress. A- and they keep saying, like, oh, we're looking for a male. So keep that in mind. So, wait. So, oh, my God. <laughs> so they were like, somebody saw this person in a dress and they're like, no, it has to be a man. Yeah. The basically. thought never like, occurred to them that it was a woman. Uh, well, spoilers. Well, well, I don't know if this person is a male or a woman, or a, a male or female, or neither, or man or a woman, right? Or if they identify as other, but it's just like this person was in a dress. Yeah, they were in a dress, and the, the police consisted like, okay, so we're looking for a male. Like the eyewitnesses all said, no, it was someone in a dress. So because of that, police questioned uh, sex workers in the city. So like cross dressing. Mm-hmm. Uh, sex workers uh, but it really led nowhere okay so at the time that the victims bodies were found there were grocery bags close to the front door or in the kitchen um, which made authorities believe that the murder lured the women or convinced them that he was trustworthy by offering them groceries so criminologist patricia payan sculpted a 3d cr- recreation of the killer using eyewitness descriptions again emphasizing very masculine features uh using photos of the 3d recreation and of other artists rendition authorities began notifying the elderly throughout mexico city and surrounding towns uh, more than 300 police officers were assigned to work undercover as regular civilians on public plazas churches and parks so on January 5th, 2006, around 2.30 p.m., Jose Joel Lopez arrived home at the residence of 82-year-old Ana Maria de los Reyes Alfaro, where he rented a room at the far end of her home around Colonia Montezuma Primera Sección, 
which is a neighborhood east of Mexico City. Uh, he walked in and saw Ana Maria's body. While he observed the body, he saw someone run towards the patio. He chased after them while he alerted the police nearby. Um, after running to the end of the street, they apprehended the suspect who carried a folder with copies of electoral credentials, a list of people's names, a blood pressure machine, and a fake ID that was used to trick victims. The suspect they had captured was a woman named Juana Barraza Samperio. A woman. A wumpf. A man in a dress. A wumpf. Uh, Juana Barraza Samperio. So just a little background on her life. It's very traumatizing and there is a trigger warning here. So Juana Barraza Samperio was born on the 27th of December in 1957 in Epasoyucan, Hidalgo, a rural area north of Mexico City. Uh, she was raised by an alcoholic mother who reportedly exchanged her for three beers to a man who repeatedly raped her and by whom she became pregnant with a son at the age of 13. Yikes. Yeah. She lived with him until she was 17 when she ran away by jumping the man's fence using a broken piece of the fence and a bucket. Um, she took her son, of course. Uh, she worked at Lucha Libre events after that, selling popcorn, and on occasion would partake on the events going by the name of La Dama del Silencio, or the Woman of Silence. At the time of her arrest... I guess she was in jail and she showed interest in learning how to write because she never learned it as a child. So this was the arrest when she got caught for the for committing the murders, right? Yes. What do you know what how old she was at this point? Um she was 40 48. So she was 48 when she was arrested. Uh so opening up to some one-on-one reporters, uh she shared that she deeply missed her dad who abandoned the family when Juana was still a child and to whom her mother was physically violent towards. Um, so this started gr- uh, growing resentment to her mother, and she eventually blamed her for her father leaving them. Okay, so after running away from the 40-year-old rapist, she moved to Mexico City, where she lived with a taxi driver for some time and then a drug dealer for some time, both of which fathered her children, uh, the latter of which mysteriously disappeared. So I think we'll get back to the taxi driver. Um, so days before Barasa's capture, TV Azteca, this, I think you heard this part when I was listening to it but this part's kind of creepy okay so a few days before barraza's capture tv azteca which is a, a news channel it was recording a special in the coliseo which is a, a stadium in mexico city mm-hmm. it was doing a documentary like recording a special on lucha libre in mexico uh, so barraza was actually one of the attendees interviewed by the reporters Uh, She was seated in the front row, and according to the guy that directed the documentary, she was wearing a red cocktail dress and high heels. Uh, Reporters noticed how out of place she seemed. Um, She wasn't as active in Lucha Libre at the time of the recording. Um, So they just asked her questions like, how long have you been coming like there? Uh, She responded saying 10 years. She talked about her Lucha Libre persona and her kids. They asked her, are you more of a rudo or técnica when it comes to your moves? She responded saying, Ruda al corazón, which is equivalent in English saying bad to the bone or rotten to the core. So according to my mom, because I did not understand his part, um, in Lucha Libre, rudos are considered like the bad guys. Right, they play dirty. Mm-hmm. As opposed to técnicos, which is are considered the good guys. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's all show, like WWE, but right. don't tell the American audience that WWE is staged. I feel like maybe I should have watched more wrestling to kind of know what was going on. John Cena. Is he a good guy? Or is he rudo or is he técnico? I don't know. Uh, I think it's just Lucha Libre that has names. Actually, I think in English they're called heels. Like, bad guys are called heels. Hmm. So, um, a few more facts about her. She worshipped La Santa Muerte, which is holy death. Oh, hell no. Which, I guess, partially inspired her Lucha Libre persona. Because La Dama de Silencio, like, she moves in silence. Like death. Yes. So criminologist Martin Gabriel Barron noted that Barraza was so dedicated to Lucha Libre because she saw it as a way to get out of poverty and to provide a better life to her four kids. I mean, that's why she was so dedicated to it. There were two big changes in her life that changed her drastically, I guess, in her adulthood. Um, The first being that her eldest son was killed by a gang during a mugging, Mm -hmm. which just scarred her like it changed her. Uh, The second being a bad fall that she had while performing Lucha Libre. Uh, Her doctor told her that she had, if she had another bad fall or if she continued doing what she was doing, she would end up being paralyzed. 
Um, so she stopped doing Lucha, Lucha Libre, but still frequented events. This eventually led up to her expressing her anger with murder. So I guess it's theorized that she had so much pent up anger from her childhood and so much trauma over the years that she used Lucha Libre as a form of like releasing that anger. When she had to stop, she found alternatives. Oh, she had no outlet anymore, pretty much. Mm-hmm. So... So her first murder took place in the late 1990s with very little details to the homicide. Um, at the time of her capture, she confessed to have only murdered Ana Maria de los Reyes, which was the one that they saw her running away from. Mm-hmm. So that was a sufficient enough confession to have the case picked up by the Procuradoria General de Justicia del Distrito Federal, which I guess translated turns out to be the Attorney General of the Federal District. I didn't know there was a dr- direct translation for the word Attorney General. I don't know. Just a fun fact. Yeah. Um, after a fingerprint test with comparing fingerprints left at other crime seats, they were able to tie her to six different homicides. Wow. So she was working overtime. Well, she it was from like 19, 1998 to 2006 were estimated when she was doing like committing these homicides. Well, committing one murder is one too many. So, yeah, she was just doing. Oh, the that's most. not that's not even. I'll we'll get to it. Oh God! Shut up. <laughs> oh, and by the way, just an aside. Usually, people that worship La Santa Muerte are drug cartel members, people that um, practice witchcraft. Um, and so it's not it's not a good usually not a good thing to be doing. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure there's some there's good people. So we're very much generalizing, but La Santa Muerte is very much tied to like very. A means to an end, like, regardless of who's in the way. Yeah. I've heard a lot of people, like, pretty much giving themselves up to the Holy Death, which is directly translated, and um, asking the Holy Death to kill their enemies and stuff like that. And it's just, like, just very strange. Yeah, it's not It's not something that you may want to... Dabble in? Yeah, that's the word. <laughs> so, sorry, I just had to add it in there because we kind of didn't... I didn't want to interrupt you, but we didn't really talk about it. And I thought that's kind of interesting. Yeah. No, that's partially why. Like, I know in Mexico City, there's a huge shrine to her. There's actually a special on Netflix called Dark Tourists that they kind of, they visit like, I guess, dark tourism. So one episode in particular is based on Latin America. And I think they go to the shrine in Mexico City. You know, it's a personal choice. If you want to do that, go ahead. Um, so moving on. So comparing those six different homicides that they were able to link her to, to cases that shared similar MOs, prosecutor Bernardo Batiz said that there was a 99% chance that she had committed at least 11 homicides and one attempted homicide. Yeah, I see your eyebrows going up, but that's not even the worst part. That man in a dress was so busy. <laughs> Dude, she was... Anyway. I'm just still shook that they like didn't think of the possibility of this person in a dress not being a woman it really is because of misogyny I, a terrible like terrible points for feminism honestly like like to think it's like a, a woman committing murders it must have been a man in a dress it must have been a man in a dress okay so according to the attorney general um in the last eight years there were 48 reported homicides where the victims were elderly women. 10 of those were from 1998 to 2003. 35 of those were from 2004 to 2005. And 38 homicides had similar characteristics. Does that add up to 48? I don't know. We're not a math podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Um, We don't know math here. We didn't finish college. What do you think that... Who do you think we are? I work in accounting, says the person that works in accounting. Yikes. <laughs> so Barraza matched every single eyewitness description. She insisted that she was not the Matevejitas, saying that authorities were mistaken that they were looking for a male. Ironically, at the time of her arrest, she was wearing a red sweater that matched exactly to the 3D bust recreation's red clothes. If you can, um, and if you want, you can look it up. It's kind of funny. Like she was wearing a red sweater at the time of her arrest, uh-huh. and the red bust that they made had like a red, like red clothes. So when she's standing behind it, and they're like newspapers are like taking pictures of her, like they look exactly the same. It's Wait, like, oh, so what did they do? Like a bust? What do you What do you mean? Yeah, it was a bust, like a 3D. Uh, recreation of it got you so like instead of doing a sketch somebody did like a bust of like who they thought they saw they did multiple of them okay because i mean like eventually like when there were so many murders going on 
that matched all of these, you know, MOs. Like, they wanted to get the word out. Right. So. I just, that's strange because it's like here, all we get is like some really shitty pictures when somebody does something <laughs> bad. And they made a whole ass bus. Specifically with like. Of this man in a dress. Charcoal. It's always a charcoal. Yeah. Drawing. Never mind. We're not talking shit about. The American justice system. Th- not even that. <laughs> What's the word? Sketch artists. Oh, okay. Yeah. Wow, that took me a while. Eh, it's okay. Okay, so her entire demeanor remained calm from the time of her arrest to her trial and up to her sentencing. That's creepy. Yeah, because she insisted. She's like, that. that's not me. You're looking for a male. She's creepy, but she's playing like she knew what she was doing. Yeah. Like, just the entire time, like, that she was, like, under... Like, in her trial, she she acted like it was like, oh, my God, this is such a waste of time. A waste of my time, I Had guess. no remorse for what she did. Absolutely none. And, I mean, like, yeah, you can say that she went through some pretty terrible things growing up, but a lot of people do, too, and they don't do those things. Yeah, absolutely. Not to, you know, discount what happened to her. I'm not trying to say that it wasn't a big yeah. deal what happened to her, but, like... No, I get what you mean. Like, there's a lot of people that go through trauma and don't end up, you know... Becoming a serial killer. Yeah. (laughs) Okay, so investigators noticed many small items with very little value that were missing during crime scenes, all of which had some type of religious meaning. Like, it can be like a crucifix or a Bible or images of saints. So all of these items were eventually recovered at um, Barraza's residence. Police theorized that they were some form of trophy. And thinking about it, I think she was maybe thinking, like, I know what I just did, and I'm taking this religious object to, like, ask for forgiveness, maybe? Mm, Well, she worshipped the Holy Death, so... Yes, but... I mean, if you're going to bring up the Holy Death again, La Santa Muerte, it's not canon for Catholicism, but a lot of Catholics in Mexico consider La Santa Muerte as a saint. Hmm. Yes. I guess their train of thought is death is just as natural as birth. So Mm -hmm. death has to be like death is regulated by God. God decides who dies. God decides who lives. Yeah. So death has to be a servant of God. That's their understanding. Yeah. Which makes sense. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So that's why a lot of people that worship La Santa Muerte don't see it as an evil being. They see it as it's one of God's servants. So there's nothing evil about it. I've never actually heard that angle before. That's very interesting. The more you know. (laughs) We like learning here. And we like learning. Anyway. (laughs) So it was theorized that she used the fake government ID to say that she worked for social programs aimed at helping the elderly throughout the city to earn their trust and allow them into their homes. Um, So three uh, of the victims owned a print of the 18th century painting titled Boy in Red Waistcoat by French artist Jean-Baptiste Creuse. Uh, the significance of this print was nev- has never been revealed. Just thought I'd throw that in there. I mean, three of the victims out of all of them like had the same painting, like, I don't know. Were they, um, I don't know if you'll know this, but like, was this the earlier homicides or like the later ones? Mm, I don't know. My research didn't say that. Is it homicides or or murders? Which one is correct? I think homicide is a more judicially accepted term. Okay. Maybe. Okay. So through this investigation, they were able to recreate her final homicide. So that of Ana Maria. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, so, graphic warning ahead. Uh, Barraza acquainted herself with Ana Maria's daily routine of walking around the local park. So, she kind of, like, followed her and what she did. I'm assuming for a few days. Like, she, what exactly? Wow, she, she deadass scoped her out. Mm-hmm. So, on the day of the murder, Barraza approached her, showed the fake government badge, and told her that she was there to help her with any small tasks around the house, such as laundry, getting groceries, or checking her blood pressure with the aforementioned machine. That's why she carried it with her. Mm-hmm. As a proof of like, oh, look, I'm here to check your blood pressure. I work for the government. You can trust me. As Ana Maria's three kids rarely visited her, she allowed um, Barraza in her house, which is kind of sad. Yeah. Please check up on your grandmothers. Yeah. Or your often. moms, I guess, in this, sake, in this case. Yeah. Once Barraza was inside, she hit Ana Maria's head and using her deceased husband's stethoscope, strangled her to death. So this was Ana Maria's husband's stethoscope on the 31st of march 2008 in santa marta de acatitla um, barraza was sentenced to 759 years and 17 days in prison for the 17 confirmed homicides 
17. Yes, that they were wow. able to confirm through evidence or through, I guess, one was admission of guilt. Wow. It became the longest sentencing in Mexico's history, and she is serving the sentencing in a federal prison in Coatzacoalcos. The 3D reconstruction bust of Barraza was added to the exhibit called Asesinos Seriales del Centro Cultural Policial de Distrito Federal, or translated to Serial Killers in the Police Cultural Center of the Federal District. What a mouthful. Yeah, these are not short titles. No. Um, so this honor is actually shared with Jack the Ripper and the Narcos Satanicos, which may be a n- future episode. The Narcos Satanicos? Yes. The Satanic Drug Cartel members? <laughs> this sounds interesting. So different sources report the number of homicides that she committed, but they range from 42 to 48 between the years she was active. 17 of those homicides were considered proven by either evidence or confession, like I mentioned. In comparison to a U.S. serial killer... Eileen Warnos, just as like a comparison, mm-hmm. committed a total of six homicides. Eileen Warnos was who they made the movie Monster about, right? She's yes. in, from Florida? Mm-hmm. Okay. So she was actually Mexico's first and only female serial killer. What a great title to have. You love to see it. Oh my God. Uh, she was in the spotlight recently in 2015 when she got married to a man in the same prison who was serving a homicide sentence. Um, they later divorced a year later in 2016. Um, they had met in person three times, and each of those times it was for 40-minute intervals. So they really got to know each other. <laughs> 40 minutes. Plenty of time. They're like, uh, qu- uh, quickly, uh, what, what do you like? Favorite uh, color. A favorite color. Uh, ice uh, cream. Uh, what's your favorite ice cream? Yeah, they did that in 40 minutes. <laughs> three times. Uh, who said romance was dead, honestly? Love um, at first sight. It seemed like it. So one thing I should mention... It was kind of hinted at, but basically when they found Ana Maria de los Reyes Alfaro's body, Mm -hmm. um, according to the eyewitness that found her, he said that there was actually two people running away from the scene. One was Juana Barraza and the other one looked like a male. Oh no, is this another man in a dress? No, actually it was just a uh, man in man clothes. Okay. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) I'm tired of the Mexican justice system. So... There is a theory that she had an accomplice, that being the taxi driver that she fell in love with and had kids with. But there's nothing concrete. I couldn't find anything. So that's just a theory. I think it was just a few sources that said that she had may have had an accomplice, Mm -hmm. but nothing concrete, unfortunately. Wow. So that was my story of La Mata Viejitas, the little old lady killer. Oh, God. How'd you like it? I didn't really know a lot of the details about that. I, I... Kind of her. I didn't even know that that was the person's name. That that's what they referred to her as, or that they were male or female. Mm-hmm. But I knew that there was somebody that had murdered people in of an older age through the '90s and early 2000s because it was yep. on the news. Yeah, when I was a kid mm-hmm. growing up. It would come up on the news. Another, you know, another person found this similar way in Mexico City and stuff like that. So, mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, they finally found her in 2006. I mean, I was in sixth grade or something sixth or seventh grade i had already moved here to oklahoma i was a baby in illinois in illinois but yeah i mean it's estimated that she killed at least like 48 people like my god and like you mentioned like not to justify these killings but she lived through a lot of trauma that i that i wish she would have addressed i wonder how many years she would have gotten if she if they had found evidence for more of those murders and not just 17 of them. Yeah. I mean, with those 17, she got 759 years. I mean, it's not like she can get any lower. It's like, uh, maybe one day. Did you find that weird that uh, the Mexican justice system does that? They don't do life sentences. Yeah. They do like, they tell you how many years you're going to be in jail. And like, sometimes people are in jail for like 800 years. Yeah. That's crazy. I mean, you want something to put on their calendar. Like a day to look forward to or something. When they're dust. (laughs) But I mean, in the U.S., they mention like a a lifetime sentence isn't really a lifetime sentence. Isn't it like 75 years or something? I have no idea. I heard that somewhere. Don't fact check me. (laughs) Maybe you should have looked that up before. Don't fact check me. Wow. Okay, well, I guess we're moving on, and I am here to talk about women in white. Lady in white. Wow. (laughs) (laughs) So I kind of wanted to talk about Llorona. You know, she is a staple in Mexican culture. She is used to 
frightened little Mexican and South American kids up and down the, the South America and Middle America, right? And so um, I kind of started getting into it, and I realized that um, there is a lot more women in white reported everywhere in the world across different cultures and across different times, not just La Llorona. Mm-hmm. It, she, it was very, uh, it was kind of eye-opening when I was doing my research, and I saw that, like, it, you know, like, we have La Llorona, but in Venezuela, they have a being called La Sayona. And so, um, I kind of want to talk about it. Usually, these women in white are associated with rural legends, and they have a tragic backstory, usually involving betrayal, death, loss, or suicide. Okay, so the story of the Llorona that I grew up listening to was, um, as legend says, that in the times of the Spanish conquistadores, a man arrived from Spain, and he met this woman in this village named Maria, and they fell in love. So they ended up having a few kids, but the older the kids got, definitely their socioeconomic differences hindered their marriage. He was from money, he was from royalty, and she was indigenous. She lived in a village. She grew up in with dirt floors and washed her clothes, and he was used to people doing that for him. Eventually, like, they kind of just started drifting apart, and they never really got divorced. But one day, it said that when Maria was walking near a river, she saw her husband in a carriage with another woman. And she was so angered, so enraged, that she didn't even realize what she was doing at that moment. She threw her kids in the river and drowned them to prove a point to her husband. And after that, after she kind of like calmed down and realized what she'd done, she couldn't bear to live with what she had, what she did. So she drowned herself as legend continues. So when she got to heaven, she was punished for her misdeeds and sent back to earth and was told that she had to find every last bone of her children that were drowned before she could get back into heaven. So now people say that around bodies of water, you can hear the wailing and the crying when it rains at night. Yeah, I know there's a lot of variations um, with the story of La Llorona, particularly the one that I grew up hearing, like, you know, bedtime stories. <laughs> yeah. Um, it was very much like, yeah, follow the same step. Like she was an indigenous woman. I guess they had three kids. That's one of the big things, the story that I knew. Mm-hmm. And they all have variations again. But she had three kids with him. And when she became too old, which was, I guess, at the time was 30 or something. I don't know. <laughs> he told her, like, hey, I don't want to be with you anymore. And he left for someone younger. So because she was mad, she drowned her kids. And she drowned herself as a way of, like, payback. So it's basically the same thing except up to the point where she gets to heaven. And St. Peter is at the gate because Catholicism. And he obviously knew what happened. And he said... Maria, where are your kids? And she's like, oh, um, they're around. And she killed them first that they had arrived to heaven before her. So they are already behind the gates. And as punishment, St. Peter said, go back to earth and you can't come back until you bring your kids. So he basically damned her. To purgatory Mm -hmm. on earth. Yeah. And because my family is from Mexico City, there's a district called Xochimilco that's basically like chinampas and like little canals but that's where the story took place that i grew up hearing yeah but different parts of the world like you said like have different variations see another regional variant i didn't put here in my notes but i definitely heard was um these parents lived in a, a village i don't know what this village is called but they had a daughter and the daughter was very promiscuous and she liked to go out and dance and drink and it wasn't very ladylike of her. So, um, you know, the, her parents were thinking that she was this great kid and she was doing all these good things. And come to find out, she was sleeping around with a lot of the men in the village and forcibly aborting her babies and throwing them in the pig pens so the pigs would eat them. Shit. And then so when she died and she went to heaven, St. Peter met her at the gate and he's like, I want you to go back down there and collect all the bones of those fetuses that you fed to those pigs. And when you come back, I'll let you into heaven. It's a very gory version of that story, but I'd never heard it before. It was very interesting to hear that kind of variant. But so basically what happens is in this town down the main street in the middle of the night, the Yorona will, you know, float around yelling, I mis hijos in the middle of the night. Mm -hmm. And people just shut their windows and shut their doors and they don't come out. 
And reportedly, yeah. it happens to this day. People call it like la. I think like la casa de la llorona, specifically where this girl lived. Mm-hmm. I don't know where the legend came from, like how they knew like what happened in heaven or anything, but it happened, and it, it's still like there's apparitions that happen in this village. Yeah. And um, I kind of wanted to talk about a time that I kind of had a run in with the with the llorona, or I what I believe to be the llorona. I don't know what happened. <laughs> okay, so. When I was a kid, I, I grew up um, going to Mexico a lot in the summertime. So uh, specifically this summertime, we were out in Durango, where my parents are from. They're from a, a little town called Sardinas, probably like an hour away from this other, from the closest town called Santa Maria del Loro Durango. You know, the municipal government or the local government there pays for uh, people to come out and make this like a basketball court that can be turned into a volleyball court. And, you know, these little towns, like, they don't have jobs. All they do is farm, and they grow their food that they eat. There's no, there's, like, not a living there, if that makes any sense. Like, people are very simple there, and and they like it that way. You know, there's nothing wrong with living that way, but, like, I grew up, and the roads were dirt. They weren't paved. There was dirt everywhere. I think they barely put street lights when I was maybe, like, nine years old. There was no street lights out there. Um, Cable didn't really work. It's like this guy pays for the cable, then runs the cable out to all the houses, and everybody pays him ten pesos for the for the bill at the end of the month. But what whatever he's watching, everybody else has to watch. Oh, and they have to take turns um, getting water. So the water comes down from this pila at the top of a, a cerro or like a mountain, and um, pretty much they switch the they switch the little lever, and it's like half of the town gets water Tuesdays and Thursdays, the other half of the town gets water Mondays and Wednesdays. And so you have to get enough water and fill up all your stuff to make sure that you have enough water to get through to the weekend to the next Monday or Tuesday. Mm-hmm. But I digress. So my sister and I were out, you know, it's pretty late in the evening. Everybody's playing volleyball and they're, you know, playing basketball. And it's like where a lot of people gathered that were our age. A lot of people from the ages of like five to like maybe early 20s. So we're out there and then like a a thunderstorm rolls in and there's thunder and lightning and then but there's no rain yet. And so um, this huge lightning strikes and the rain just starts pouring down. And as the rain's pouring down, it gets really dark. And all we hear is, I mis hijos coming from the river, like just like a wailing. And everybody just kind of like stopped, looked around at each other. And it was keep in mind, there was like 50 of us out there. (laughs) We like all looked at each other and like booked it the fuck out. Like I swear I have never run faster in my life because I don't know if it was somebody just playing a prank, but you don't fuck with that shit when you're in Mexico, especially where there's no street lights. Like you go home, you don't come out after seven, like you just go inside and pray for the rest of the night. And I feel like to this day, me being an adult, I still think about that happening. Like, whenever I'm near a river or a lake, I'm like, mm, probably should back up a little bit. Let me just turn the flashlight on on my phone. I still get a little nervous just because that happened. Wow. Yeah. I know. Has my sister ever told you that story? No. Well, let me be the first one to tell you. One of my great uncles one time mentioned to us that, because he lived in Mexico City uh-huh. for most of his life. He said that he remembers being out in like a balcony or something at night and hearing that wailing. Right. Or like someone screaming like, yeah. mis hijos, like my kids. Well, if you look on YouTube, a lot of videos that are posted about La Llorona are videos like that. People mm-hmm. that are like woken up in the middle of the night and they're like, oh my God. Obviously translated. This is translated. Oh my God, I just woke up and there's wailing and they'll go out on the, onto their balcony and there's like people poking out of their windows and stuff and but you hear this like very like deep wailing like deep pain it almost doesn't sound human oh yeah those videos are very they're chilling like yeah they're spooky they they make the the i get goose pimples from them yeah especially because like the setting of most of these towns they're very like colonial buildings old brick roads and it's like you can hear how they echo off of the buildings and it's it's like ominous like it it's just scary yeah very much is um okay so moving on i think next i want to talk about la sayona so la sayona is basically la llorona but the venezuelan version mm-hmm. her her backstory is actually pretty interesting it's kind of a, a little different the, this legend begins with a woman named casilla and I, I guess in venezuela there's lots of plains 
So this is a, a region of a lot of plains where she lived. And um, she was happily married, had a husband, had a kid. Her mom lived a few houses down from her. But in the middle of the day, she always liked to do this one thing. And it, it was to go take a bath in the river, which was, you know, like maybe a 15 minute walk. Uh, but eventually a guy noticed that she was going off to the river and taking baths. So he would follow her and spy on her. Eventually she noticed and she was like, my husband, my husband's going to beat the shit out of you because you're out here watching me naked bathing. And he's like, oh no, actually like I wasn't following you. I swear. I just came to warn you. And she was like, what do you mean? Warn me. Or he said, your husband is cheating on you. And, you know, she's just standing there, like, with a look of awe, like, what are you talking about? And she's like, and he said, your husband is cheating on you with your mother. So, at this what point, yes. So, at this point, she was so angered and so enraged that her own mother would be doing this with the father of her child that she ran all the way home. And when she got home, she flung open the door and found her husband and her child sleeping on the bed. But what did she do? She lit that house on fire. And, you know, like people in the town were coming out. They're like, why the hell is people screaming? There's like a man screaming and a kid screaming. They were burning in the house. So after she did this, she grabbed a machete from, you know, her just her kitchen utensils and ran out towards her mom's house and started chopping her mom up. I don't think a machete is a kitchen utensil. That was the joke. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome. That's the joke. Thank you. But uh, she started chopping her mom up, and her mom was oh like, what God. are you doing? I'm your mother. What are you doing? You know, her mother's screaming, and then she's like, you fucking cheated on me with my husband. How dare you? How could you? And she just looked at her, like, bleeding out, and she's like, I would never do that to you. And basically, her mom, in a fit of rage from her daughter, chopping her up cursed her and said you're gonna avenge all the women in the world that get cheated on by her by their husbands and that's what you're gonna do for the rest of your time for the for the rest of your your life and afterlife aren't latin american urban legends just the nicest i curse you i guess she was considered like a protector of women that were cheated on but i mean did her mom have to die and in such a bloody way (laughs) she chopped her mom's ass up yikes that's that's sad. Now, going into the future, to present time, sightings of La Sayona are reported all the time. Specifically, what men report is she appears to men asking for a ride. She'll be like, hey, can I have a ride? Or she'll ask him for a cigarette. And when the man looks at her face, she has a skull face. No skin, no muscle, just a skull in a white dress and mangled teeth. And I guess the men just run away screaming and they talk about it when they get home. Were they men that cheated on their wives that or was, was it? it? That's not clear. I think that um, it's more of like a regional variant of La Llorona and La Sayona. Mm-hmm. So I, I think like the difference is, is that when you see her and she's just a skull face and she doesn't do shit, that's La Llorona. But when she she's sitting there trying to attack you, that's probably La Sayona. You need to quit cheating on your wife. Mm-hmm. So also some, some other stuff that happens. I actually found a version of this story where... Uh, La Sayona is actually kind of mixed in with La Patasola, which is called, which literally translates to the one foot. And La Patasola is another being of legend that's kind of like a vampire that lives out in the woods and only has one leg. Mm-hmm. So what will happen is that men that are working out in the rainforest will uh, suddenly meet this woman, you know, this beautiful long haired woman that will come out to them and say, hey, you know, convince them. She's like, hey, she whispers salacious things in their ears and says, Hey, cheat on your wife. Come on, let's go. Cheat on your wife. And then the guy's like, yeah, okay. <laughs> Not even trying to like struggle mm, about it. No. <laughs> and so she'll take them out until a secluded rainforested area and she will rip their entrails off. Gentlemen, the bar is on the floor. <laughs> they're just, <laughs> they're not setting the bar high. They're just no. like, the bar is on the floor. It just rolled over to the other side of the room. So she usually, she will either rip their entrails off or rip off their member. I don't like that. No, it makes me very uncomfortable. I don't like that. There are other versions where uh, she'll appear to these guys and actually sleep with them. And then um, they get these really terrible STDs from them. And they have boils and pustules and stuff that grow all around their groin area. So when they finally see their wife, their wife is, their wife says, you fucked La Sayona. You fucked the ghost. Mm-hmm. Get the fuck out of here. You cheated on me with a ghost. Ew. So, very much a protector of uh, of women. Mm-hmm. We stan. Stan. Stan list. <laughs> <laughs> stan list La Sayona. Um, well, so except wh- the murder part. 
Yeah, no, that's a little that's a little crazy. Oh, that's sad. So specifically, I um, I found a story of a guy recollecting uh, what happened to him when he was younger. Um, the town's called El Regalo in Venezuela, and he talks about how. I'm sorry, I rolled my eyes a lot while I was typing this, while I was reading this story and typing it up, because, okay, so this guy, he was younger and he was having an affair on his wife, he was having an affair with another woman. Ew, he's a thought. Yeah. And (laughs) so he was having an affair and what he was doing was he was waiting till his wife would fall asleep at night and he would sneak out of the house and go meet his girlfriend. Oh my god. So this one night everything's normal. Um his wife goes to sleep and he kind of sits there and listens to her to her breathing kind of even out so he knows she's he knows she's asleep. And so he's like, "Okay, now I'm going to go, you know, with my girlfriend." So he sneaks out of his house and you know, he's about about he's about halfway there when he notices a woman that looks just like his girlfriend walking, but she kind of has a limp. Her hair looks a little longer. Her her clothes look kind of dirty. And he's like, what the fuck is she doing? So he keeps following her. And then when they get to her house, he sees that this woman walks past the house. So he goes, hey, what's going on? Like, this is your house. What are you doing? And when she turns around, like her face was completely like white. Like she had eyes and she had a nose and she had a mouth. But like her skin was like porcelain white, like scary, like sick, ghostly. And when she bared her teeth at him, they were like sharp ass little needle teeth. Oh my God. So he didn't even make it to his girlfriend's house. He was at the door, but he turned around and ran all the way back home. (laughs) And right when he's about to run into the door, she grabs him. The apparition grabs him and hugs him really tight. And she's getting tighter and tighter. And he feels his bones like they're going to snap. And finally he wiggles. He's yelling. He's panicking and throwing his arms around. And he finally gets out of her grasp and runs in the door. And then his sister-in-law is waiting there. She's like, are you okay? I heard a racket. Like, what's going on? Are you are you all right? And he was like, you're not going to believe what the fuck just happened to me. I was outside, you know. I had to go pee. So I just went outside for a second. And while I ha- while I was peeing, this, this woman with razor sharp teeth just grabbed me from behind and was trying to whisk me away. And so his sister-in-law kind of like looks at it. And she's like, that sounds like La Sayona. Are you sure you're not cheating on your wife, on my sister? and he was like no 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 i didn't do that i didn't do that and so this experience changed him so much that he recounts now in his older life that he never so much just looked at another woman for the rest of his life wow so she's teaching lessons Dude, she all is, she had to she's do, doing the work all she had to do was show him her pearly whites and he was like humana humana and he just ran scooby-doo <laughs> style back home <laughs> He said, fuck this and ran home. You have to say Scooby-Doo style. Oh, I didn't realize. I did look up that there was a, also the Brazilian one. And I don't know how to say the name in Brazilian. I mean, in Portuguese. <laughs> in Brazilian. I'm sorry. How many is a Brazilian? Too many. <laughs> in Portuguese. But it's like basically La Mulher Blanco or something like that. The, the woman in white. And usually the story that's told with her is that she is, you know... How us, how South Americans and Mexicans can be like they value the lighter skin and the colored eyes rather than the darker skin. Just say racist. Um, right. I wanted to be kind of kosher about it. So really what happens is that like every time I read this, this variation of this Brazilian story is that it's a woman that's very beautiful and she's fair skin and has colored eyes. And in some of them, she falls in love with the slave and pisses off her dad. And she's like, how are you going to fall in love with the slave? So uh, basically he feeds the slave to her. Oh no. And you know, she obviously completes suicide. This is like so traumatizing for her that she completes suicide. And now she appears, you know, lamenting that she lost the man she loved. It's crazy, huh? Like, it's like in every, literally every culture, there is a woman in white. The next one that I have is the one, is one from, uh, there's two variations. It's from Malta. Um, basically, the first one is, is this lady appears in Verdala Palace in Busket Rabat, Malta. A woman was supposed to be married with a man that she didn't love. And so she, you know, very humbly and frankly came to her father and she's like, Dad, I don't want to marry this guy. I don't have feelings for him. And basically, he was just like, that's your fiance. You have to listen to whatever he says and broke her heart. And her heart was so broken and she was so distraught that on the day of her wedding, she completed suicide. She hung herself from the balcony. 
Wow. And in this palace, the Verdala Palace, like there is a lot of reported sightings of this woman in the white dress. And she, I mean, she died on her wedding day, so she was wearing a white dress. So she's known as the Lady in White of the Verdala Palace. Mm-hmm. And she appears, well, there's tourists and stuff that'll see her regularly after 8 p.m. Wait, in her wedding dress? Yes. The other version of the, this Maltese myth is um, the woman, the white lady of Emdina. And uh, she was actually killed by one of her lovers after she was forced to marry another man. She had an arranged marriage with this guy, but was in love with this other guy. And this other guy killed her because she had to marry the guy that she had the arranged marriage with. Wow. So what a way to go. Like somebody that had nothing. You know what I mean? Like Mm -hmm. basically he was like, if I can't have you, no one can and killed her. Yeah, that's what I was. That's what I was going to say. So people in Malta claim to see the the lady of Medina, the white lady of Medina. She only appears to males. So the white lady of Medina will appear to children, teenage males and elderly men. When she appears to a child under eight years old, she'll uh, tell them to go home. She'll say, go home. She'll try to be helpful. When she appears to a male teenager that has just had his heart broken, she'll tell him that there's going to be another or she offers them to become part of her shadow. When she appears to old men, to elderly men, she uh, lures them to become part of her shadow. Her shadow meaning her ghostly followers. Mm-hmm. So she just collects people to follow her around as ghosts. Whoa, that's scary. And I guess since somebody took her life away, she has to take other people's lives away as well. Mm-hmm. A recount that I read of this uh, this teenager that had gone out and was hanging out, just gone through a breakup, was hanging out with his friends, having a great time with his friends out and, you know, late at night, um, gets home. And I guess the way houses can be set up in Malta is instead of ha- having a long hallway with different doors that go into different rooms, it's just one room and a door and then you go into the room, then through the door and there's another bedroom and then you go through the bedroom to another door and there's another bedroom. There's no hallway. It's just like from one bedroom to the next bedroom to the next bedroom. Mm, I make I make sim houses like that. Yeah. Or I, I feel a lot of um, houses where my parents are from in Sardinas are like that. Like there's no hallway. There's just like there's connected bedrooms with uh, doors. And there's instead of having an actual door, it's a curtain to mm-hmm. segment off the, you know, to give you a little bit of privacy. So this guy came home from hanging out with his friends and he sees his mom and his mom's in the first bedroom. And she's uh, watching TV in her chair, but she's asleep. So he's like, oh, okay, you know, mom fell, fell asleep watching TV. So he turns off the TV. He goes to bed. So he walks into the next bedroom, past the curtain, and goes, go, that was his room. So he went to sleep. And so uh, he heard his mom get up again. Or she, she had to drink water. So she got up and went to the kitchen. And she hears her son, like, pushing and, like, making weird noises. And, like, just breathing really heavily. And she's like, well, what's going Like... You know, she's like freaking out, like doesn't know where these noises are coming from. And then finally her son yells like, Ma, there's a ghost. And so she runs in and he was like, I saw the white lady of Amdina. She was here. She was, she was trying to get me to be part of her shadow. So that's really creepy. And this is like kind of, and the mom says that she heard footsteps and weird, like there was a blast of air when she came into the room. So it's like more of a recount of the mom and not actually her son. So I thought that was pretty creepy. Just like weird Ugh. Mm-hmm. it gave me the chills when i read that i feel like <laughs> i'm being annoying and i'm telling the story is very formulaic like okay first is venezuela now we're going to malta now so um in fashion with what i'm doing um i also found a story of a lady in white they're called the maidens of ule it's a legend from east siberia and the story originates from the Buryat people in the village of Ule in Irkutsk Oblast, Russia. The legend tells that uh, a young woman named Balzuah Duai, who did not want to be married, uh, kept escaping from her husband that treated her badly. And okay, so when I'm reading the story, I feel like the story was actually typed out by somebody that's Russian and didn't have very good Eng- uh, didn't you know didn't have a very good command of the English language. Mm-hmm. So um, I had to take some constructive liberties liberties in Mm. trying to translate the story she was treated so badly by her husband that and ran away so many times that he locked her in a yurt and i guess traditionally in this part of uh east siberia people actually don't stay uh, or people stay in white yurts but he locked her in a black one i don't know what the significance of that is that it was a black yurt it's it made a point the story did to say that traditionally it's supposed to be a white yurt, but he locked her in a black one. I don't know what the difference or the significance of that is, 
Hmm. But she was locked in the black yurt for a period of time until finally the husband decided to let her out. And he said, hey, we have a wedding to go to. So let's go to this wedding. And I guess just like being locked up in a yurt for so long and just like feeling like she that she wasn't treated right by her husband. She was depressed, I think. She fell into a really deep depression and the loneliness made her dance eight days and eight nights to keep the loneliness at bay inside of her. So she danced for eight days and eight nights. And at the end of that, she completed suicide because she couldn't live with her husband anymore. So it's said that now after she passed away, she became a Zion spirit, which I think is a part of like what's called spirit maidens. And there's like 300 or more of them. And what these spirit maidens do is they float around and find unsuspecting fiancés that are about to get married and try to lure them away from their wives with their feminine wiles and beauty and lure them into the underworld to be part of their followers. Wow. Yeah. That's crazy how, like, all of these have, like, a common theme to them. Like, Yeah. They all are women that went through something really went through something shitty. Traumatic, yeah. It, I just thought it was really interesting that, like, for a long time, women, women were always treated badly by a lot of these cultures. Mm-hmm. And um, I think this was like a way to, I don't know, maybe get them to be treated better. Mm-hmm. So like to me, yeah. like La Llorona is like you tell a story to kids so they don't go by a river or they don't go by a body of water to keep them from drowning. Mm-hmm. Does mm-hmm. that make sense? So it's like more of a story that you tell kids. It's like, hey, don't go by that river because the Llorona is there. La Llorona, La Llorona is going to take you away. And, yeah. you know, try to pretend that you're her kid. And I feel like this is these ones that I've been telling are more for like, so you don't cheat on your woman. Mm-hmm. They talk they talk about La Sayona. Well, I think the La Llorona is also the same way, too. Like it, she was a woman that was cheated on too right, in some yeah. versions. But I think, well, cause, because I'm more familiar with the story of La Llorona, there's so much weight to it when it comes to the effects of colonialism or the effects of machismo and Mexican culture where men yeah. can feel like women are disposable. So I think there's a lot of weight to that. Yeah. But yes, all, all of these basically have the same the same theme of women that are scorned. Yeah. Women that are abused and traumatized. You're right. And they're so traumatized and so scorned, they come back after they die mm-hmm. to fuck yeah. your ass up. So my last story is from the Philippines, actually. And this story is very interesting to me because I feel like anytime we've ever watched ghost videos from the Philippines, it's always a lady in white with long black hair mm-hmm. on like the side of a road. So uh, this kind of explains that. In the Philippines, women in white are locally known as caperrosa. That's what they're called. And uh, the most popular ghost story, or one of the most popular ones, originates from Quezon City. And uh, it's about a, a long-haired woman in a white dress. And the, the okay, so the variations that I heard of the story is, one, is that she got picked up by a taxi driver in the middle of the night and she was trying to go home from work or wherever she was and on this street called Balete Drive the taxi driver made her get out and raped her and then killed her in another version of this story this woman was actually driving down Balete Drive and she got into a very bad car accident and actually passed away on the road those are the two stories that are most commonly told about about this lady in Quezon City. The people that talk about this a lot are actually the cab drivers that drive around in the graveyard shift because unlucky is he, the one cab driver that has to drive down by let the drive at night because supposedly they get stopped by a woman in white and they ask for a ride. And, you know, very confidently they'll look in the rearview mirror and say, where are you going? And then when they when she looks up, she's got a really bloody face and lots of bruises, and no eyes. And she kind of like opens her mouth to scream and the cab driver jumps out. And when he looks back in his car, there's nobody there. Oh, my God. That reminds me. <clears throat> Sorry to interrupt your story. But it re- okay. that reminds me of uh, urban legend from back home. There's a cemetery called Resurrection Cemetery, I think. Yeah. But basically, it, like it's a haunted cemetery uh-huh. um, in Illinois. And I think that's where the urban legend originated of the disappearing hitchhiker. Oh, because mm-hmm. I remember growing up that there would always be stories and especially one. It became like a big thing after there was a video that surfaced. I don't don't remember exactly what year it was, but I remember I, I'm sure you've seen it where it's a group of people. One guy in the back is recording and there's uh, they're driving down like a dark street and there's a lady that on on theme. Um, there's a lady in white 
walking down the street and they stop her and say, hey, do you need a ride somewhere? Because it was nighttime. And she doesn't look at them. And she was like, sure. So she gets in. She sits down and she's just looking down. And she's like, well, and they keep driving and they're like, where are you? Where are you headed? And she says she just points and she's like down there. They keep driving and it's and it's just not too far. It's just on the same road. They keep driving and then they're like, where did you want us to drop you off? They say right there. She just keeps pointing forward and they say, is there any significance to this? And she's like, yeah, that's where I died. And she turns to the camera and her face is just like changed. Oh, yes, I do. And mm. isn't this at the point where, like, they crash or something? Yes. Mm. Gotcha. That, in that video, they crashed, but I think the urban legend, it, it just kind of stopped there. So Yeah, it was kind of inspired by the, by that story. Fill in the blank. Yeah. Yeah. That's very interesting. And if I do remember right, that lady was in white. Yes. Mm-hmm. So my question is, is, like, what are all these people in these different cultures and regions and stuff seeing? Like, they're all seeing the same thing. Yeah. A woman in white haunting the shit out of you. And one thing that you mentioned that I'd never even thought about was all of these are very basically like stories of women that had no power at the time when the when the story started. So it maybe was a form of trying to regain their control of saying like, look, women can be scary too, not just men. Hell yeah, they're scary as hell. And they did it better. Yikes. <laughs> no. This is just scary. I don't know. Um, I'd like to put it out there. If anybody's ever had an experience with a woman in white or if you've ever seen an apparition like that, if you could send it into our our email. Yes. Uh, yeah, I think we forgot to give our our email last time. So we had to ended up adding it at the end. Oh, yeah. Um, so if you do have any scary stories, you can email us at gayspookypodcast at gmail.com. That's Q-U-E-S-P-O-O-K-Y-P-O-D-C-A-S-T at gmail.com. And we'll also add it in the in the episode description. I feel like uh, when we probably get enough of these really, really scary, great stories, we'll probably come up with an episode just talking about stories that people have sent in. Mm-hmm. Or um, personal stories. Yeah. I kind of wanted to mention one of, that reminded me of um, a, a woman in white on a road that my dad told me about. Uh, I, I think I've told this one to you, but this one is scary. But Go, go ahead. Tell it. Why not? Just add it in the, uh, the, you know, the last 10 minutes oh, of the episode. I don't know. Okay. We got time. Okay. <laughs> the story is that, so my dad, when he was younger, he lived in Mexico City. He used to be a truck driver. But it was a type of truck driver where, like, he worked at night. And he said that one of his one of his shipments that he had to take was from Mexico City to Acapulco, Guerrero. It's about a three-hour drive. He said that a lot of weird stuff happened. It's one big highway. And I guess it took a little longer than three hours. Before, it used to take about eight hours. But recently, like, they made the road, like, they made the highway a lot better because one of the, an old president bought it and made it a toll. Yeah. highway and now he profits off of it but anyway that's that's a beef for another night basically sometimes he would go with a partner and they would switch off so one of in case one of them got tired they can switch off he said one time that when he was driving by himself he saw like a a white woman far in the distance on this road and it was just a highway so as he's getting closer it looks like she she's looking at him and as he's getting closer it looks like she was gonna jump in front of him he starts like swerving on the other side and it looks like she ran to the other side of the street. And when he swerved to the other way, it looked like she ran on the other side back. So he ended up like stopping and just like try to catch his breath. And he just looked around and didn't see anybody. And he was like, okay. So he kept driving and I I guess eventually he did stop like at a gas station. Um, and he was still like shook up about it. So he was noticeably pale. The guy asked him, like, oh, so you saw her? And my dad said, like, what do you mean? Probably just trying to play it off, saying, like, what do you mean? And he's like, as long as you don't see her face, you're going to be fine. And my dad was like, okay. So he didn't think anything of it. So he finally got to Acapulco after a few hours. And I think at the time it was sunlight. So he dropped off the shipment and he got had to make his way back to Mexico City. So... When he was around the same area that he saw the apparition of the woman, he like kind of stopped and he noticed that right around where he saw her, there was a like the 
road angles. So if you like swerve out of the way or anything, you will fall off of a cliff. And he said that there was like just a pile of like a big car pile up at the end of one of the cliffs. Probably because all the people that have seen her face got scared and just drove off the cliff. Wow. Yep. That was a story that he mentioned to us a few times growing up. And the thing is, is like growing up, it was always like, oh, that's just a story. But recently... I'm I'm just scrolling through like scary videos on Facebook and one of them was like top five haunted locations in Mexico and that was one of them. Oh no. So there has been people that can corroborate the story. Yeah. I know that that's true that they don't pick up those cars because on the way from Sardinas to Santa Maria del Oro which is the closest city to where my parents are from there's mountains and when you get up into the mountains the road is paved and there's curves everywhere and they're always saying like cuidado con las curvas because the curves are so bad there and there's no like there's no barriers on the side. The roads aren't really marked very well. So people fall off of the curbs a lot. And as a kid going to Mexico and driving to Santa Maria all the time for provisions, every time we drove by, my dad would be like, look down there. And there'd be like three or four cars down there. All they would do was Shit. fish the bodies out of the cars and get the people out and have funerals for them or take them to the hospital. Since there's no like services to go pull out the cars from there, like where my parents are from is very poor. The cars just stay down there. Mm-hmm. And so there's like tons of cars just like in the in the valleys between these mountains, mm-hmm. like off cliffs. It's crazy. Yeah, that's scary. But sorry, not to like make the, your story about me or anything. An additional caveat of information. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Well, I think that's all we have for this episode. Yep. Um. So thanks for listening. Bye. Well, I was gonna say, <laughs> please follow us on Instagram at Kispooky Podcast and then also follow us on Twitter where I think we will be announcing any new episodes coming out. The Twitter account is Kispooky Pod, so follow us on there. Um, and as I mentioned earlier, you can email us any story suggestions or your own scary stories at Podcast at gmail.com. Hopefully we'll be out on iTunes soon. Yeah. Bye. Well, not yet. Oh, fuck. <laughs> Special thanks to Cody Barnes. Taylor Turner for the artwork, and Kyle Field for the intro music. Do we have to say that every episode? Why not? Okay. We're appreciative. Anything else you want to add? No. Okay. Bye.